0: Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley. Welcome back to Thread, episode 86. And this episode talks about the most important event in the book of Acts for the life of the church and the spread of global Christianity after the day of Pentecost. Uh, because on this in this chapter, chapter nine, the number one persecutor of Christ, the the zealous uh, Saul, the Pharisee, uh, the number one persecutor accepts Christ as Lord and begins to serve him with the same zeal that he used in persecution. So if you've got your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 9. We're going to cover this story in two parts. Uh, Today I'll be a little bit brief. It opens by saying, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And that's where we start. Misguided zeal. Maybe Paul likened himself to Elijah the prophet or others in the Old Testament who used violence to purge Israel from its infiltration by agents of false religion. You know, it's a very famous Elijah story when he puts to death the prophets of Baal after their big showdown on top of Mount Carmel. And maybe Paul saw himself like that, that this new thing that he called the way, the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom, uh, had infiltrated Judaism, and it was turning thousands of people uh, toward a new way of thinking about God and about salvation, and toward the worship of Jesus Christ. And, And Paul was infuriated by this and concerned for Judaism and decided he was going to do whatever he could with all his zeal to purify the Jewish religion of this horrible um, cult, as he saw it. And he asked letters authorizing him to cross national boundaries as far as Syria so that he could arrest Christians, followers and leaders who were among the Jews there. And in uh, verse three, it says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, Syria, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, we will hear this story repeated several times by Saul uh, after he changes his name to Paul and becomes the greatest of the apostles in terms of missionary activity. It becomes the foundation of a radically new perspective on what is real and what is true about life and work and true religion and God's character and Paul's own reason for living. This event, a concrete event in history, changes his life. And I think this is what it's like to be born again. You have an experience. It's not a doctrine. It's not a tradition. It's an experience. And we need these experiences that we can all point to uh, when we are being tested and when when maybe doubt comes to do battle against us so that we can turn and say, well, I, I might not can prove all of these things, but I can prove this because it happened to me. You know, I know how I was before I got saved, and I know the change Jesus made in me. It was an experiential change, not just a new way of thinking. I'm not just trying to be like Jesus now. I was born a second time. An event took place and changed my life, and that's not the only event in my life. I go down through the years, and God has revealed himself to me in different times in different ways, just as he has with all his children. And there are things that God has told me to do, and I did it, and it was exactly as he said it. There were things he's revealed to me through other people or through my own uh, prayer time, and I know it's real. I know it because of the experiences. So Paul has this experience of being uh, totally uh, blind spiritually, and going on in his zeal and being knocked off his high horse and being knocked to the ground and a bright light shining on him, and a voice talking to him in ways that are that is you know so clear he, he knows what is being said. Why is what it's asking him? Why are you persecuting me? Now, Paul and his muscle men, are nearing Damascus, and these two things happen. First light, bright light. Well, it was already daytime, but a bright light shines on him. A voice comes out. You are persecuting me. Why are you persecuting me? And this one little sentence says so many things. One, that God knows his name. Secondly, that when you touch the church, you are touching the Lord himself. Uh, Jesus identifies himself with his people. We are the body of Christ. And when you persecute the body of Christ or when someone makes trouble in a church, you are troubling not just that group of people, you are troubling the Lord. And now Paul has a horrible realization in verse five. And it goes on inside his mind. It's like a light turns on because, you, you know, you can't know a thing until you know it. And. But the light goes on and inside the mind of this bigoted, self-righteous man. He says, Lord, who are you? And he's uh, I think he's 80 percent sure of the answer already. Lord, who are you? You know who I am persecuting. So who are you? And the answer comes back. I am Jesus. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. He takes it. He takes it personally when you persecute the church. I am Jesus, and you are persecuting me, not just these people. Um, you know, as I've said so many times before, spiritual abuse flows from the certainty that you and you alone are one hundred percent right, and that's where Paul has been, and now he's he's having his eyes opened, and he's coming to understand that he's not always right, that it's it's possible to get it wrong, even in your zeal and even in with all your prayer, because I'm sure Paul was already a man of prayer in the Jewish way of praying, and he was already a man of, he says so in his letters. He was already a person of fasting. He was a person of praying, but he misunderstood. He was 100% right in his mind, and that led to his self-righteousness. And so now... He finds himself on the other end of this. He's reeling from the the understanding now that he's been sincerely wrong. And then the Lord says something to him. He says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, goad was a thing um, when you uh, hooked up oxen to pull a plow. They didn't always like that. And so behind the oxen, but in front of the uh, man standing behind the plow, there were a set of spikes pointed toward the oxen so that if they kick back to try to kick the man, they'll kick these spikes and hurt themselves. Uh, You know, it's authority, and it's the way authority can protect itself. In other words, the Lord is saying, Paul, when you are hurtful and vengeful to others, you hurt yourself too. When you attack me, you injure yourself, and you're being wounded Even all this hate that's inside of you, all this self-righteousness that's boiling around inside of you, it's hurting you. It's wounding you. You're harming yourself right now. And I think Paul understands that when he speaks it. Paul immediately accepts his wrong. No argument. This is like David when he was confronted for what he had done with Bathsheba, and he doesn't argue back. David just immediately yields and says, I have sinned. So in verse six, Paul, it says, trembling and astonished, Paul said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I think this is really important. Uh, You know, Paul accepts his wrong. That's the first thing that's called confession. Confession is like in the in when I was a kid and they taught us basketball. One of the most important parts of the game was when you fouled somebody, you had to raise your hand and admit that you did it. Paul accepted his wrong. And he knows this is this isn't important. It might be important for somebody listening. Paul's been wrong. He's been horribly wrong. He's been killing people, innocent people. Paul accepts that he's wrong, admits that he is wrong. And he knows that God doesn't want us to feel bad. That's not the goal of divine correction, that we should feel horrible and guilty and beat ourselves up, that we should grovel before him. He understands God enough to know that God wants us to act. He wants us to change what we do. So Paul doesn't say, Lord, how do you want me to feel? Lord, how I feel so horrible about this. He immediately goes to the point, Lord, that's important. He's established that from his very first word. You are Lord. You are bigger than me. You are my God. Lord, what do you want me to do? Do, and he knows it's about what we do. God is concerned more about our actions than our feelings. Because you can feel guilty for a thing and still do it. And feeling guilty does not change you. We're made in the image of God. And God wants us to live out that, that image, to reflect his image, reflect his glory in what we do, what we say, how we think, how we interact with people. So Paul says, Lord, what change do you want me to make? What do you want me to do? And God tells him what to do. Enter this city. If you enter this city, get up. I think that's interesting, too. You know, Don't lay there in the dirt. Don't keep your face in the ground. Get up. That's what I want you to do. First word, rise, get up, go to the city, and then you will be told what to do. You know, there's this teenage spirit that says, don't tell me what to do. And for some people, it stretches into adulthood. And all of their life, they reject authority. They push it away from them. They hate it. They see it as a, a, some kind of a bondage, something terrible. But, you know, friends, we can't be disciples of Jesus until we get past that. When we become humble and teachable. And under authority, like Jesus was. That's the first lesson in becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Becoming humble and teachable and under authority, like Christ, is the first lesson in becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't need a new quest for God. He needed to humble himself and humble himself permanently as a child before the Lord. Verse seven says the group saw the light. They heard the voice and they saw uh, they just didn't see anyone speaking. Verse eight says Paul got up from the ground. His eyes were blinded. When he opened his eyes, he could see no one. They led him by the hand and they brought him into Damascus. And he went three days on a total fast. Uh, He did not eat. He did not drink. He was cleansing himself and he was preparing himself for God. And that's what fasting is supposed to do is create an empty space for God. So here we've seen a big turnaround in Paul's life. And this turnaround is going to lead to an explosion of evangelistic activity because Paul becomes a man who obeys the Lord. And if Jesus said, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every person and The church has now been 40 years, and it hasn't done it. It hardly left Jerusalem until a persecution drove them out of Jerusalem. Paul is going to take up that mantle that the Lord... I mean, it's the only commandment to the church is evangelize. And Paul is going to take it, and he is going to actually do it. And he's going to be an inspiration and an example to so many others who will follow him and do it also. But I think for us as individuals... The takeaway we should get from this is uh, dramatic transformations. The heart of the gospel is the promise of change. And Jesus has come to change lives. And the harder the heart and the more evil the man, um, the more in need of transformation they are, and the more powerful the gospel is. And if you will share the gospel, you can count on God to do in their lives what he did in Paul. He will show up. These people will be confronted by God. They will have their own, uh, their own wrestlings with God. It won't just be you speaking, but God will speak to them, and he will bring transformation in their life. And when he comes to us and confronts us, the first issue is, are we going to accept him as our Lord and yield to him and humble ourselves permanently? Because that is the first essential step when we become teachable, then he can teach us and take us on this amazing journey of discipleship. Until that moment, we're just stuck because we're stuck in our selfishness and we don't know what we don't know. And we can't learn new things because we're not teachable. So let's check ourselves this week and make sure that we are, we are teachable that when others offer suggestions, we listen to them that we're not trying to use God as a good luck charm and do the things we want to do anyway, but that we are listening for Him, asking Him what He wants us to do. And I think the last takeaway is we can get rid of the guilt and the self-hate. I mean, we're all guilty. We've all done a zillion things we shouldn't have done. We've all fallen so far below our potential. And it's not important to God that we carry that heaviness in our heart. What He wants us to do is stand up and get moving again. Move on with our lives. Learn the lessons from our failures, but don't drag our failures through life with us. Move forward and change what we do. Don't worry about uh, you know the, all the feeling part of it. Change your doing. Do what's right. Do it whether you feel like doing it or not. Just do it because you know it's right to do it. And we will all make progress in the Lord and see transformation in our life too. If you'd like to write me directly, my personal email address, chuck@quinley.com That comes straight to me. If the Thread podcast is a blessing to you, would you share it with your friends and let them know about it? It's easy to find. Just go to quinley.com or in the uh, app store on the iTunes, in the iTunes store. And that's all for this time. And we'll see you next time on Thread. A broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Log on to Quinley.com.